Are we prepared for another emergency on the scale of 9-11 or Hurricane Katrina? Here's one thing that would help, something you might not have heard of, psychological first aid. Welcome to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Raber. I don't have to say much to evoke these kinds of memories. 9-11, Katrina, Blacksburg, Virginia. It seems we've had more than our share of tragedies and disasters in the last few years. And in all of this, one thing seems clear. We need to be better prepared. And our guest today has some ideas about how we can do that. As part of our special series this month on emergency medicine and disaster preparedness, we're talking to Dr. Jonathan Links. Dr. Links directs the Johns Hopkins Center for Public Health Preparedness, a center funded by the CDC for the training of frontline public health and safety professionals. Welcome to the program, Dr. Links. Thank you, Paul. Delighted to be here. So you're talking about psychological first aid. It's an interesting concept. What exactly is that? Well, psychological first aid, or PFA, is really the psychological equivalent of common first aid, which is really physical first aid. Okay, so we want psychological bandages and tape and splints and that sort of thing. That's right. It's basically, you can think of it as psychological first aid is to psychotherapy as physical first aid is to trauma surgery. The psychological first aid is what we do uh, on the way to the operating room, so to speak, or on the way to a sustained course of psychological or psychiatric treatment if somebody needs that. Exactly right. So it's putting on the Band-Aid psychologically and then determining triage. Now, this is a new idea to me. Is it in fact a new idea? Well, psychological first aid or PFA as a concept and in fact as a practice in various forms has been around for a while now. In my center, we've developed a very specific form of PFA. That's new. But the concept in general has been around. Well, give us a little bit of the context. Where and when did this uh, notion of psychological first aid arise? Well, perhaps the most important thing I can say, Paul, is that if you look at the number of psychological casualties in any disaster to the number of physical casualties, it's a ratio of about 4 to 1 to as much as 10 to 1. So the Institute of Medicine, for example, issued a report showing a 4 to 1 ratio of psychological to physical casualties in a disaster. And there's a series of articles in the literature that suggest these days it's probably more like 10 to 1. 10 times as many psychological problems as medical problems. So let me be clear. Of course, a psychological problem is a medical problem. And the fact that that most of us make a distinction is part of the problem. 10 times more psychological casualties, that is, persons experiencing real dysfunction as a result of a psychological effect as a result of a physical effect. All right. Now, as long as I got myself in hot water here, let me, uh, let me fight back the only way I can, which is to question. I know that some people would question those kinds of numbers, and people do, and they say, well, you know, well-intentioned people like you and first responders and various people find all these psychological problems, and yeah, people lose their house in a hurricane, they're a mess. We understand that, but that doesn't necessarily mean it rises to the level of a medical problem. I think that's an extremely important point. So that's why we use the word dysfunction, and a psychological casualty is someone who, from psychological processes, is literally dysfunctional relative to the norm. And the norm that we're using in a disaster is the disaster norm, 
not routine daily life. So if you're dysfunctional in a significant way beyond the norm of psychological stress and despair in the face of a disaster, that's a psychological casualty who is a medical casualty deserving of medical intervention. So that's certainly a tighter, sort of more rigorous description than we often hear. But even what you're saying is that even with that kind of more careful categorization, we get this huge disparity. A phrase that's often bandied about, the worried well. The worried well, meaning folks who are not physically injured or at risk in any way, but who show up at emergency departments and other emergency uh, healthcare provider situations seeking some sort of help. And I've always found the phrase, the worried well, an extremely unhelpful phrase because those folks aren't actually well. They may not have physical injuries, but they need some sort of attention. Okay, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the worried well sounds to me like it could also apply to most of us most of the time for one, one reason or another. Fair enough, and that's why obviously the, the concept of a norm or a standard is important and a changing norm in the face of a disaster compared to daily life. So we have this notion of psychological first aid. Tell us a little bit about your particular implementation of it, how you've taken it further. The key point is that our version of psychological first aid is not intended to be delivered by mental health professionals. Most of the psychological first aid that's out there, and it's excellent, is intended for mental health providers to deliver. We think that if you accept this 10 to 1 psychological to physical casualty ratio, that relying on mental health professionals to meet the surge in demand in the face of a disaster is unrealistic. And we need to enlist a whole host of emergency and first responders in the delivery of PFA. Are we talking about police and firefighters as well? Police, firefighters, EMS, as well as very important components of what in the emergency preparedness field are called informal networks. A prime example of that is clergy. And so we've, in the Baltimore area, trained over 500 clergy in the delivery of our form of PFA, for example, because we know a lot of people are going to turn to their churches, synagogues, and other places of worship in the time of a disaster, not to a mental health professional or a health care provider. Talking about police and firefighters learning how to administer some psychological first aid reminds me of my early days as a newspaper reporter when I used to cover school board meetings. And the common complaint was that everybody wanted teachers to do more things. They wanted to be, to be concerned about drugs. They wanted them to be worried about physical fitness. They wanted all the teachers to promote the band, and, and, and the list goes on and on. And, of course, teachers didn't have time to do all those things. And it, it seems a little similar. Uh, police and firefighters, one or two things they have already have on their agenda when they respond to a disaster, whether it's a hurricane, terrorist activity, whatever it might be, are they going to have time? to, first of all, be trained in this, and second of all, to use it in those extremely heated moments, emergency moments? Well, the training part is easy to answer. The way we've developed our training, it's a one-time, six-hour training within an assessment to make sure that the training's taken place at an individual level. With respect to the very valid concern about being able to deliver psychological first aid in the face of a whole bunch of other responsibilities, if you think about the daily expectations of police, fire, 
EMS, and so on, they actually are already expected to do this sort of thing, but without the training. Police in particular are often in situations that call for the delivery of some sort of psychological first aid or counseling or other type of assessment, triage, and emergency of psychological intervention. So I actually don't think it's adding as much onto their plates as you would at first think. I think it's giving them the tools to better address what's already on their plate. And frankly, if you accept that a psychological casualty is as valid a concept as a physical casualty, then police, fire, and EMS have equal obligation to the psychological casualties as to the physical casualties. I'd like to try to convey to our uh, listeners something concrete about how this works or what it is, as I'm having a little trouble getting a grasp of it myself. Pick an example, whether it's a it's a worker running from 9-11 and, and completely covered in white dust or whether it's somebody trying to hang onto a light pole in floodwaters in New Orleans. Pick one and tell us what are some of the kinds of things that would be part of the psychological first aid response. Okay, so basically what you're trying to do is identify and intervene with those who are truly experiencing dysfunction as opposed to distress. So we're all going to be experiencing distress as the normative state in the face of a disaster. But true dysfunction is severe, impairing, and incapacitating Whereas distress, while certainly uh, significant and unpleasant, isn't. And so what we're really interested in doing is identifying and intervening with those who are experiencing true dysfunction. The way we've designed our PFA is it's a five-step process with the acronym RAPID, R-A-P-I-D. The R is for reflective listening. That's the first step. The A is for assessment of needs. The P is for prioritizing a severe versus mild reactions. The I is for an intervention. And then the D is for discharge, meaning we're done with you, or referral for continued care. The first couple of those have to do with figuring out who needs this emergency first aid to start with. That's right. And so, you know, victims are presenting themselves to you and the idea is to take the time to implement a communication process where you're trying to understand what they're telling you and what they're feeling, and then from that to be able to determine what type of problems, the scope, the severity of the problems that they may be experiencing. So let's say emergency workers in a hurricane situation, they pull a person out of the, out of the floodwaters into a boat. Do they begin to think about this then? Do they wait till they get that person back to a shelter wrapped in a blanket? Or do they pick it up the next morning? When does it begin? That's a fair question. And it's certainly a challenge to think about the same person responding as an emergency responder to both psychological and physical casualties. And typically what we think is going to happen is there's going to be an immediate triage between the physical and the psychological. That itself, parenthetically, is a challenge because if you think of something other than a weather event, let's say, for example, there's a terrorist attack with a chemical agent. Well, a chemical nerve agent could generate symptoms that appear psychological. And, of course, you can have psychological symptoms 
that appear chemical nerve agent induced. It can go in either direction. Well, thanks for explaining this to us. It's a very interesting concept. We've been talking with Dr. Jonathan Links of Johns Hopkins University about public health, emergency preparedness, and the interesting notion of psychological first aid. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You have been listening to the Washington Health Report, a special segment on emergency medicine and disaster preparedness on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Comments, questions, suggestions about topics for future shows, send us an email, xm at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.